Welcome to the Bible Questions podcast brought to you by BibleQuestions.org and the Holly Street Church of Christ. This podcast is dedicated to answering your Bible questions from the Bible. My name is Jeff, and along with Brian, we are the hosts of this program. Hello, and welcome to the Bible Questions podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Today, you have Brian, Jeff, and Alan. And Alan, really appreciate you joining us. We always love your insight that you've drawn from many, many years of preaching. So thanks for coming along today for our episode. I really enjoy doing these podcasts. It's just an opportunity to rethink some of the things that we study and make it a little more personal even to ourselves. So there's always a benefit in that. Yeah, I appreciate your unique perspective. It's always very good. So Jeff, what are we going to be talking about today? Well, today we're going to be focusing on a topic that I would tend to say is very important, very critical for Christians to kind of, I'll say, sustain them when the going gets tough. And that's the subject of hope. Now, that term is found over 150 times in the Bible. So there's all different kinds of passages that we could leverage from to define and illustrate and have examples and encouragement. And I think probably, Alan, we should probably do to uh, get things started is if you had to choose uh, one passage among all these to sort of bring in front of our listeners, would you have any particular one that you'd want to offer that could really encourage them, uh, you know, from an emotional perspective? Yeah, I spent a lot of time this morning thinking about that. And I kind of came up with actually three passages that I think will kind of give us a scope or a boundary upon which to base all of that this morning, because hope is such a, a vital part. We'll see a verse in just a moment where Paul equates the three most important elements in our faith to God or in our relationship with God is faith, hope, and love. So let's start with one I think that is very important, and that's found in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15. Brian, if you would like to read that for us, I'd sure appreciate it. Uh, sure, here it says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you, with meekness and fear. And of course, I think we'd all agree that one of the most important aspects of our work as Christians is evangelism, is letting our light shine and talking with people about our faith and talking with people about the reasons why. And Peter really kind of puts a powerful perspective on hope here when he says that if we're going to sanctify the Lord God, if we're going to set him apart as holy, if we're going to put him first in our lives, then we need to be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks us a reason for the hope that is in us. And so I just urge all of our listeners right now to ask themselves the question, how would I answer that question? If somebody came to me and said, why do you hope to go to heaven? What is your hope? What is it about Christianity that causes you to make all of these sacrifices? And how would we answer that? And really the purpose of this lesson is to give us some answers so that we can fulfill this. And then the, the second verse we mentioned earlier is 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Jeff, you want to chime in on that one, please? Certainly. Now abide faith, hope, love, these three. The greatest of these is love. 
So this gives us a little bit of a challenge as we think about it. We all understand that faith is one of the most important elements. Uh, He that believes and is baptized will be saved. And so many passages, faith is, without faith, it's impossible to be pleasing to God. So we know faith is important, and agape love is set forth in this entire chapter as being a critical part. And then he puts hope in here. And I think that that's important. I think it's important for us to realize that on a level playing field, faith, hope, and love are all set forth with love towering above the other two. And so we need to understand our hope so we can give a a defense, a reason for why we uh, have that hope. We need to understand that God is looking into our hearts, hoping to see faith, hope, and love. And then the last one is, uh, I think, very interesting because in the Hebrew letter, Hebrews chapter 11, which we're going to be, that's going to kind of be the hub that all of our discussion today are, are going to be dealing with. And so in Hebrews 11, 1 and 2, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, the elders obtained a good testimony. And so if we, if we make that our understanding of the word faith, when it says, by faith Abel, by faith Noah, by faith Enoch, basically what we're saying is, by the substance of their hope, And by the evidence of the things they don't see, this is what motivated them to do these things. And then I guess, again, I think our listeners ought to take a step back and ask themselves about this. Sometimes people's faith is not really as strong as it ought to be. And oftentimes we look at people and, and we hear them talking about how much they believe in God, and yet we see them stumbling and struggling and, and often and sometimes even falling away. And so, as we look at these three verses about hope, hope will become one of the most vital aspects of our walk with God. And we're going to see as we go through this this uh, podcast that God has set forth to us over and over again how important hope will be to our Christian walk. So, Alan, before we go much further, we should probably describe the exact definition and, and scope, if you will, of hope. And, you know, I like your insights on the best definition you have ever heard on the meaning of hope. And you've mentioned how you feel it's, you know, it's very simple and easy to remember. And that is hope is desire and expectation. The more we desire anything, the more we will hope for it. The more we expect to receive it, the more we hope. And if either of these is diminished, so will our hope. So as we consider the scriptures, you say that, you know, we will find that they emphasize one or the other. So I like that. That I think makes it much clearer. Yeah, I think it's very important for our listeners to understand that point, that hope is made up of two basic things. First is desire. I want to go to heaven. I want eternal life. I want God to look upon me as as one of his children. I have strong desires. And the, the more we desire something like that, the more excited and intense we're going to be. We see it in the Apostle Paul talking about how uh, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and stretching forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal. I mean, Paul was very intense. And he mentioned back in the first chapter that his desire was to depart and be with Christ, which was very far better. So he had a great desire. 
But with many Christians, the desire is not the problem. It's the expectation. A lot of times Christians think to themselves, I want to go to heaven, but I'm not, I don't know that I'm going to make it. I don't know that I'm going to be. And a lot of times it's doubt in God's grace or it's doubt in, in God's power through the gospel to forgive us and to save us. But as we look at hope, we need to realize and understand that the desire is critical, but so also is the expectation. And I've got to work on that every day. That's why I, I begin my day praying to God to forgive me of my sins and to help me to live this day well because I want my desire, which never varies. I have a strong desire. I, I trust God on, on his promises, but it's me falling short that I often think about. And so when we're focusing on hope, we want to focus on the desire but we also want to focus on the expectations. And so uh, I want to begin with two passages that kind of illustrate that. So the first one is hope as it focuses on the desire. And uh, so, Brian, you want to read uh, Romans 8, 23 through 25? Here it says, We also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. Verse 24, For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. And that passage is uh, really, you know, if you look at it, the Bible very seldom repeats itself, especially in the same uh, passage, but you see in verse 23, eagerly waiting, and you see in verse 25, eagerly waiting. And I'm reminded of those times where we have something we're looking forward to tomorrow, some activity, some some present, some gift, some something that we just can't wait for it to happen. And sometimes you can't even sleep at night. You're so excited about what's going to happen the next day. And that's really the idea of eagerly waiting. And again, we see it in Paul, we see it in Jesus, we see it in the apostles. They're eager waiting for the redemption of the body. They're eager waiting for their hope is what leads them. For example, in Acts chapter 4, they rejoiced after they were beaten that they were counted worthy to suffer for Jesus. And that's almost a contradiction when you think about it. How could you be happy when you're being beaten? But again, it all comes down to hope. If you hope for heaven, if you hope for the resurrection, if you hope for that new beautiful spiritual body in that new beautiful heavenly home with that city whose builder and maker is God, and if that's what we focus on, we, we should wake up thinking about these things. Throughout the day, we should be thinking about these things. No one in the world is going to help us keep our, keep our hope hot or warm. We have to do that. And we're going to do that by focusing on this desire and building it on it. And then when we, when we think about the expectations, I would like to go over to Hebrews chapter 6. And Jeff, I'd like you to read chapter 6, verse 18 and 19. Okay, certainly that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, 
we may have a strong encouragement who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us, which we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast and entering into that which is within the veil. And of course, in this passage, we see why faith, hope, and love are so important. And in this passage, we also see why the Hebrew writer said that faith is the substance of things hoped for. And the substance here is based on those two immutable things. And I thought about having us read the entire passage, but I think I'll just refer back to it. Uh, God made a promise to Abraham. And that promise was that if you leave your country, I will bless all the nations of the earth, and I will bless all your descendants. And then, after Abraham offered his son, or, or attempted to, was prepared to, uh, God swore with an oath. So, God made a promise, that's the first immutable thing, and God swore with an oath, that's the second immutable thing. And with those two immutable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, so that's actually a third thing. So we have God promised, we have God swore with an oath, and then we have God telling us it's impossible for me to lie. So when I tell you, if you believe and are baptized, you will be saved, that is based on two immutable things, and it is impossible for God to lie. When I tell you I'm going to let you into heaven, when I tell you that my grace is so powerful that I can cover and take care of you under all circumstances, and so we flee for refuge to that. We want to lay hold on that hope. And again, that hope is based on an expectation that God made promises in the past, and now he has set himself or placed himself in a position where he's obligated. And it's always been fascinating to me that God, four or 5,000 years ago, would tell Abraham, all of your descendants, all of those people who are going to follow after you, uh, I'm going to bless them through my son and I'm going to save them. And so God looking into the future and seeing all of those who are coming forward, including you and I, uh, he has set forth a plan, and he's not going to back away from it. And so somebody like the Apostle Paul, when he obeys the gospel, you think, how could the gospel help a man like that, a man who tried to kill Christians, a man who tried to eradicate the name of Jesus off the face of the earth? But God had made a promise. If you obey the gospel, I will save you. And so Paul said, I'm the chief of sinners. And I have an expectation of getting to heaven because I trust those two immutable things. And I know God can't lie. And so we have that as an anchor. And we have a song here in America, Will Your Anchor Hold in the Storms of Life? And that's a good question for all of us. Is our, is our hope strong enough to be an anchor? A hope that is sure, steadfast, and passing through this life actually enters within the veil. So the cord that holds me to hope actually goes into the throne of God, of course, where Jesus is sitting as our high priest, ever living to make intercession for us. So the desire for hope is based on the desire to live eternally with God in a beautiful place where there's no tears and no sorrows, where we have a beautiful new spiritual heavens and earth, and we have a city that God made. And I want that. I want to be there for that. I don't want to miss out on that. And then I have this passage that shows me that no matter what I've done, 
if I ask God for forgiveness, those two immutable things are going to be sure. And that's why John says in 1 John chapter 1, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us. And you look at that verse and you think, wow, that's amazing. I would have thought it might have said, God is merciful and compassionate to forgive us our sins, or God is loving and and forgiving to forgive us our sins. But it says he's faithful and just, which means he's going to keep his promises. He's going to keep his oath. And so the desire the expectation. God's taking care of both of them, and it's just up to us. It's up to us as individual Christians to take those things and actually make them a part of our lives. Uh, And I like the way that you're kind of uh, weaving into what you're saying, not only God's grace, what God has done, but also you're mentioning things like obeying the gospel like repenting of sins. And the only reason I mention that is I know there are some people that have a desire to go to heaven. There are some people that have an expectation of going to heaven, but that's based on false doctrine like once, like faith only or once saved, always saved, or Jesus has already forgiven me of all my past, present, and future sins, so I have nothing to worry about, so therefore I can expect to go to heaven. Because I hope to go to heaven. But, you know, as you're kind of subtly pointing out, there's more to the story than just having hope, desire. There's also, and God's grace, as always, uh, but there's also our, uh, you know, obedience to the gospel, doing what's right, repenting when we do wrong, etc. Is that fair? I think that's very fair. And I think many of the passages that we're going to be looking at uh, will emphasize that, that it is the hope that motivates us to do the things that are necessary so we can be faithful. When it says, by faith, Noah built an ark, it was the building of that ark. As James points out in chapter 2, you show me your faith without your works, which is impossible. But I, James, will show you my faith by my works. And so everything in Hebrews 11, uh, by faith, Abel offered a sacrifice. By faith, Uh, Noah built an ark. By faith, Abraham left his country. By faith, Abraham offered Isaac. By faith, Moses left Egypt. There's always something that follows faith, and we all have to recognize that. And and it's very important to realize that it's hope that motivates us to be faithful to God, and it's hope that motivates us to make sacrifices for God. Well, and earlier, you know, I think we might have mentioned the fact that there's, you know, a lot of passages that have the word hope, literally within the passage, but there are a lot of passages that do not, and even those that don't, you know, some of them are likewise very important to understand the scope, the benefits, uh, the implications of hope, and of course, we're, we're starting to focus more and more on Hebrews chapter 11, you know, as you've mentioned, you know, as we've already read, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, for by it the elders obtain a good testimony, you know, verse 1 and verse 2 of Hebrews 11. And I think um, what might benefit some of our listeners is if you start focusing on those quote-unquote elders, at least uh, in the King James, New King James, uh, how their examples can help us better understand um, not only hope, but how God wants hope 
to help us, to help motivate us, to help, you know, drive us forward to having a, a godly life. Would that make sense? Sure. Yeah. And I, I appreciate the opportunity to go in that direction. You know, it's fascinating if, if you read Hebrews 11 and you read verses 1 through 16, you see it that, that there's a unit there. And he mentions Abel and then he mentions Enoch. By faith, Enoch was translated so that he was not found. And so Enoch's faith led God to take him and, and bring him immediately into uh, the place that we're all hoping to go. And Noah built an ark, Abraham left his country, faith, Sarah had the faith to conceive a child when she was 90 years old. And then after he mentions all of those people, he gives us, and I mentioned in the beginning that there are many passages about hope that don't even mention the word. And this is one of the highest examples of that because this, this passage breathes hope. It breathes and, and emphasizes the power of hope and the confidence of hope. And yet, the word itself is not found there. And so, uh, Brian, why don't you go ahead and read uh, Hebrews 11, 13 through 16 for us, and then we'll talk a little bit about it. Okay, here it says, All these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance, and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. And this passage will continue the concepts of this passage will continue all the way through the 11th chapter and then move into the 12th chapter which is where we will finally end up when we talk about the concepts of hope but you see in this passage he starts in verse 13 by telling us that these all these people all died without receiving the promises of course we're all going to die without receiving the promises unless the lord returns first because all of the promises are focused on what will happen after this life is over, after the resurrection, when we have this new beautiful body that Paul describes in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 15 as being uh, glorious and powerful and eternal and spiritual. And so we will, we will die in hope because hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he already has. So our hope is going to hold us firm, just like these people, because even though they didn't receive them, they saw them and welcomed them. And they confessed that they were strangers and exiles. And so that would be maybe another important um, criteria or point that our listeners might assess in their own personal lives. Uh, do I feel like a stranger? an exile on the earth. You know, Jeff pointed out earlier that uh, the responsibilities of the gospel are just as important to or gaining that hope and have an expectation of hope. And this passage is very clear on that. We don't belong here. This world is not our home. We don't live the way these people live. We don't dress the way they dress. We don't talk the way they talk. We don't have as, as our activities. In other words, our life is focused on the laws of God and the desires of God. 
For example, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he says, this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that each one of you knows how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. And of course, with all the sexual immorality going on in the world today, that passage makes it very clear that if you want to have a hope of heaven and you want to fulfill the will of God, you've got to know how to keep your vessel sanctified. And so I'm a stranger and a pilgrim when it comes to the attitudes of the people of this world on sexual activity. God has made it very clear sexual activity is to be confined between the marriage of one man and one woman for life. And anything outside of that is either fornication or adultery or homosexuality. And these are things that are not part of God's world. They are parts of this world that we are strangers or his people are to be strangers and exiles to. And then verse 14, he continues on with the idea that people who talk like this, people who say, I have a hope and I don't belong in this world. uh, This world is not my home anymore. People who talk like that make it clear that they're seeking a country of their own. And I'm making that very clear. I want that eternal home in heaven. And everything in life is focused on that hope. So verse 15, he, he makes this, the next point, which is, you know, any, at any moment a, a Christian can decide that he wants to go back to the country. He wants to go back and live like ungodly people live. He wants to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin that we'll talk about with Moses' life. And if they'd been thinking about that, if they'd been focusing on that, you remember Jesus in the parable of the sower said that the, the cares of the world and the desires for other things and the, the uh, pleasures of life can choke out the word. And that's what this is dealing with. So hope keeps us thinking about the country that we want to go to. And it keeps us, like Paul said, forgetting what lies behind and stretching forward to what lies ahead. We don't want to look back and think about the pleasures of sin or the, uh, the things the world can do that we can't do. Uh, Lot vexed his righteous soul when he looked at things like that, and, and he wasn't thinking of the country from which he went out. Because if he had, he could have had an opportunity to return, but he wouldn't. Verse 16, they desire a better country, and so do we. That is a heavenly one. And God is not ashamed to be called their God. Now, isn't it interesting that it is this hope in the promises of God that leads God to not be ashamed to be called their God? And, of course, that takes us back to verse 1 where it says, Faith is the substance of things hoped for. So when I manifest the substance of things hoped for in my personal life by the sacrifices I make, by the direction that my life is is leading toward, and by the, the focus of my heart, God is proud to be called our God if we have those emotions. And, and of course, he's prepared a city for us. He's prepared a city. And that's really the hope that is the anchor of the soul based on God's promises, based on the desire that we have. And of course, again, as as we looked at that verse, it said they hadn't yet received the promises, but that didn't bother them at all. And I've met many Christians in my life who have now died and gone on to their reward, and they died as faithful as any of these people, and so are we. We will if we live long enough, and of course the Lord may return, but that's not something that's focused on here. It's fo- what's focused on here is I'm going to live my life until death 
and I am not going to compromise because I want that hope, and I believe in that hope, I desire it, I expect it, and that's what these people are manifesting here. Really appreciate, Alan, you bringing up this mindset and this mentality of those that we read about in Hebrews chapter 11, because really, as human beings in general, we really have to make a decision. If we're going to be a Christian, we must have the attitude that this is not our home on this world. And often people struggle with all of the great things in this life, and they are so drawn to this world that they're just not willing to not call this their home. And so one thing I've always appreciated about those that are listed in Hebrews chapter 11 is that they didn't even have the revealed word that we have. They didn't have the full picture, if you will, but yet they believed in God. They sought at that heavenly country that through hope gave them the desire to call that their home and not this world. And, you know, I think a good example of that is Moses, you know, later on in Hebrews 11, where it talks about him when he was in Egypt. So, you know, when you think about Egypt at that time, it was a very wealthy nation. And here's Moses in the house of Pharaoh, could have really enjoyed all the pleasures of sin and all the riches of Egypt. He was in great shape as it relates to if that's what he really desired. But even he had no interest in that. He did not want to call that his home. And so over in Hebrews 11, beginning in verse 24, by faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. So very admirable attitude, Alan. And would you agree that Moses also exemplifies this power of hope? Yes. And of course, this is another verse where the word hope is not in there. And yet, that's the focus of the entire chapter here. So, you know, breaking this down, it's kind of interesting. Moses was, uh, Stephen tells us that he was uh, 40 years old when he made the decision that he was educated in all of the power of the, of the wisdom of the Egyptians. And yet, at the age of 40, he made his choice. He decided, I will no longer be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. I want to suffer affliction with the people of God. And, of course, that's a choice that every one of us has to make. Some of us make it in our 20s. Some of us make it in our teens. Some of some people don't make it until they're in their 40s or 50s, like Moses. And others wait even longer. But at some point before we die, if we're going to receive those promises, we have to make the same choice Moses made here. We have to refuse to continue living whatever life we were living before we became a Christian that is outside of God's commands and outside of God's will. And so in our world today, there's so many ungodly things going on. And many people are trying to set aside the scriptures in order to justify living as these people live and yet still considering themselves Christians, which is impossible. Moses could not have remained the son of Pharaoh's daughter and also uh, chose to suffer affliction with the people of God. They're, They're two entirely different sets of people. There's the people who trust in the Lord with all their heart. They don't lean on their own understanding. They have a faith that God is and that the world, like John says in 1 John chapter 2, love not the world, nor the things in the world, for all that is in the world. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And then he goes on to say 
that if we uh, continue in the world, then the love of God is not in us. But if we remove ourselves, if we, if we feel the same way as Moses did, the same way that John points out in John chapter 2 there, 1 John chapter 2, we refuse the things of this world. We don't love the things of this world. James made it even clearer. He said, uh, if you make yourself a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. And if you make yourself a friend of God, you make yourself an enemy of the world. And Pharaoh made that very clear. He tried to kill Moses after Moses made that choice. And many times our friends and loved ones, they won't try to kill us, but they try to shame us, they shun us, they do things to let, the, let us know, hey, you're not one of us anymore. You are, your life is condemning our lifestyle and we, we don't want you around anymore. And so, but that's what hope does. Hope says, I don't care what the cost is. I want the reward. You know, it's like hoping to purchase a car in the future or, or purchase some possession in the future. And you start making sacrifices. You stop buying extra things because you have that hope. You make sacrifices in the present for some wonderful thing in the future. That's what Moses did. That's what all God's people do. And it's interesting, just like those people in chapter 11, verses 13 through 15, he felt that the reproach of Christ which is interesting because he didn't even know who Christ was at the time. But the Hebrew writer makes it clear that everything Moses went through is exactly what those of us who follow Christ are going to go through, and that's the reproach of Christ, which is, I'm going to stand with him. You know, he told us in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, that all authority is mine, and you must teach, he tells his apostles and prophets this, you must teach my disciples to observe everything that I've commanded them. Well, many of the commands of Jesus run contrary to how the world lives. And sadly, they run contrary to how many people in, in different churches live. And it doesn't matter if you proclaim yourself to be a Christian if you're living outside of the law. Matter of fact, Jesus makes this point in Matthew chapter 7. He says that many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, and I will proclaim to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So anytime we set aside the law of Christ, we are choosing to return to the land we came out of. We're not being like Moses here. Moses chose to suffer affliction with the people of God. He wouldn't compromise on the truth. He wouldn't compromise. When God says this is a sin, he says it's a sin. When God makes a command, he obeys it. And, and so do we. Because the reproach of Christ is far greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, the treasures of America, or the treasures of any country or any individual he looked to the reward, all right? So the reward, again, as the Hebrew, as the Hebrew writer said in, in verses 13 through 16, is that city whose builder and maker is God. You know, it's interesting, since we're kind of focusing on, on Hebrews, you know, the, the narrative kind of continues beyond the, the notables we've mentioned, you know, so far, like with Moses. You know, verse 30, referring to Joshua and his generation, uh, Rahab, uh, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, the prophets. That's verse 32. I'm also kind of focusing like verse 35. Others tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. 
Verse 36, trial of mockings and scourgings, chains, imprisonment, stoning, sawn in two, tempted, slain. And verse 39, and all these having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God, having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. So, now I think it's important that our listeners to realize, you know, Hebrews chapter 11, a lot of examples that we can use. In fact, as we'll see in a few moments, are you know, somewhat witnesses that, you know, they can lead us to a better expectation, a better desire for hope. And, you know, in some ways, it's almost like they're saying, you know, well, if I could do this, you know, you can too. In fact, the the writer goes on in chapter 12 to kind of talk about that. Uh, is that fair, Alan? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. And of course, he he tells us every one of those people in chapter 11 is a witness today. So let's let's look at that first, yeah? Okay, so Hebrews chapter 12, continuing on. And of course, you know, the, the ancient manuscripts did not have chapter divisions, so just roaring from what we would consider chapter 11 into chapter 12. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And again, all of our listeners, you know, if you have your Bible, you might want to sit down and just really sit down and read this verse, consider it, meditate on it, think about it. But it's it's fascinating that God considers all of those people mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11 as witnesses. In other words, they're testifying. You can do this. I did it. It can be done. If you will do what we did, then you can have the same benefits that we have. But the Hebrew writer is very clear. You have to lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily besets us. Well, we're talking about running a race. So running a race means that you've got to lose weight. You've got to take off anything that you're carrying. You don't want to be carrying uh, uh, things that are heavy. And so what's he talking about here? Well, he's talking about, as Jesus told the rich young ruler, your treasures are too heavy for you. You need to sell all that you have and give it to the poor. Uh, he tells another man, you need to leave your home and come follow me. Uh, he tells us in chapter 10, if you love father or mother more than me, those are weights. If you love son or daughter more than me, if you love husband and wife more than me, you are not worthy of me. And then he says, if you love your own life more than me, you are not worthy of me. So those are weights. I mean, those are not things that you would look at and say, it's a sin. It's not a sin to love your father and mother. It's not a sin to love your husband or wife. It's not a sin to love your life. But if you love it more than Jesus, that's a weight you're going to have to remove. And then he goes on to say, and the sin, which so easily ensnares us. So Sin is a terrible thing. Some people think that once you become a Christian, sin is no longer a danger. But Paul says in Romans chapter uh, 6 that the wages of a single sin is death. And that death occurs. Adam and Eve were not sinners when they committed that first sin. 
They were sinless. That one sin made them sinners. And the same thing is true today in the in the book of Ezekiel. He emphasizes he God emphasizes that in chapter thirty three. He says the soul that sins will die. He also says the righteousness of the righteous man will not deliver him in the day that he sins, and the wickedness of the wicked will not damage them in the day that they repent. So laying aside sin. Don't be deceived. It doesn't matter what you think about the grace and the mercy of God because the grace and the mercy of God are there to give us the opportunity to get rid of our sin, to give us the opportunity to repent of our sins. They are not there so that some people think, I can become a Christian and keep living the life I was living before. I can keep on doing God. Jesus died on the cross so I could continue to commit adultery, so that I can continue to uh, drink and get drunk, and so I could continue to be greedy. That's a lie. That is not true. These people left all of that. They saw it as a as a scourge, as something as as they don't want to go back to it. They're strangers to it. They're sojourners to it. So these witnesses are telling us to lay aside any weight that's keeping us from seeking first God's kingdom and righteousness and to try to conquer and at least repent every day of those sins which easily beset us. And then we run with endurance looking at Jesus. Now Jesus is the author and finisher or completer of our faith. It's interesting that it says for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Well, what was the joy? I mean, they were going to drive nails into his hands, into his feet. They were going to whip him. They were going to not give him anything. But there was a joy there. What was the joy? Well, the same joy that those who died in faith had. He knew that he was going back to God. And he knew that that death was going to save many, many people. And so he was able to endure that cross. He didn't shrink from it. And he despised, said it not, the shame. And so must we. So here's Jesus now. He's our final witness. And we started with Abel, and we moved quickly through uh, Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Moses and, and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and the prophets. And he just goes on and on. But look here at verse 2. Now we have Jesus witnessing to us. Jesus, the author and finish of our faith, telling us there's joy in serving me. There's joy in the sacrifices that you have to make. But it all comes down to hope. If we don't have any hope, then every sacrifice we make is just another reason why we shouldn't be a Christian. But if we have hope, then every sacrifice we make is another reason why we can expect to spend our eternity with God. Yeah, and you know, as we look at those examples that we've been looking at in Hebrews chapter 11, that great cloud of witnesses. You know, we see that with the Apostle Paul, that he also took the same spiritual mindset that those in the Old Testament that we read about had. And he lived by that same mindset under the law of Christ. I think we would all agree. And so over in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, notice what Paul says here in verse, beginning in verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen 
are eternal. So, Alan, I think we would all admire Paul as someone who went through a tremendous amount of adversity, but somehow through it all, always seemed to keep the proper perspective, especially as it relates to hope. And that's that's a good point. In 1 Corinthians, he made the point. He said, I think that God has set forth our, as, us as apostles as men doomed to die. And then he talks about being reviled and spat upon and mistreated and hungry and thirsty. And he just talks about all the things. And yet here he says, light affliction. If you read the life of Paul in uh, in the book of Acts from chapter 13 through the end of the book, if you read about the descriptions that he gives earlier to this about the difficulties of being an apostle, for him to say light affliction is exactly what Jesus did. Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. And Paul, for the joy that was set before him, saw all the troubles that he went through as light because we have a balance here. We have an exceeding and eternal way to glory, which is eternal life, which is the resurrection, which is the new home, which is eternity, which is no sorrow, no troubles. God is going to make us a home as beautiful, actually probably more beautiful than what we read about in Genesis chapter 1. Perfect place to live. And so whatever we have to endure so, as Paul points out in verse 16, our outer man is decaying. It's, it's perishing. Uh, the older I get, I've reached into my 60s, and I'm noticing that my body is no longer, it's perishing. It's, it's getting weaker, there's more pain, there's more uh, problems that are arising, because the outer man is perishing. But you know, the inner man is being renewed day by day, and that's what hope does. Hope keeps the inward man, the heart, the part of us at the... The Hebrew writer described as these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them and greeted them and looked upon them. And, and that's the inner man being renewed. And they were, they were renewed day by day. So was Moses. So was Paul. So was Jesus. And so do we need to be. And we need to start, you know, and, and this is a real key to the hope. Do we see our afflictions as light? Or do we see our afflictions as, oh, I can't, I, I don't know why I'm a Christian anymore. The, the, the troubles and the difficulties that have come upon me since I became a Christian. Well, that's the, how the person without any hope talks. That's the person who has no desire or no expectation. If you have desire and expectation, then it will lighten your afflictions to the point where, as Paul said, they're light. They're light. They're easy. And that's what Jesus said in Matthew 11. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light, you will find rest to your souls. So again, hope breathing throughout all of the scriptures. Every promise is to be met with hope. Every affliction is to be met with hope. Every command and obligation is to be met with hope. That's why Paul said, now abides faith, hope, and love, these three. And that's why the Hebrew writer said, faith is the substance of the things hoped for, because God understands it's hope that keeps us faithful, zealous, and happy, regardless of what's going on in this world, regardless of the persecution, regardless of the health problems, regardless of the financial problems. Those are light afflictions to those people who have hope. And then he expresses it in verse 18. Those with hope do not look at the things which are seen, because the things that are seen are temporary. Those who have hope look at the things that are not seen, because the things that are not seen are eternal. 
So I have the temporary, like Moses, looking at the pleasures of sin for a season and looking at the recompense or reward. And Moses said, I'm not going to look at the things that are seen. I'm going to reject Egypt. I'm going to reject the treasures of Egypt, the pleasures of sin. I'm going to put forth because I'm looking at the things that are not seen. All those people in Hebrews 11 who died in faith, not having seen the promises, but having embraced them and greeted them and confessed, I'm a stranger and pilgrim. The things that I see are not interesting to me. I'm looking at the things that are not seen. I'm looking at eternal life. I'm looking at heaven. I'm looking at being faithful to God and and God being pleased with me. All of these things are eternal. These are things that are not seen, but they're eternal. So all of our listeners need to make these assessments because we're dealing with something of tremendous magnitude. As I said at the beginning, there's over 150 passages on hope. And there's probably three or four times that, like this verse, doesn't mention hope, but it's all about hope. And so as a Christian, as a disciple, as someone who's wanting to become better, hope is going to be your greatest tool. Because with hope, you can set aside, like Moses did, the pleasures of sin, and you can look at the recompense of reward, you can look at the reproach of Christ and see it as greater riches than anything in this life. But it all comes down to faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It all comes down to expectation. We have a God who, by two immutable things, he's given us a promise, he has sworn with an oath, he cannot lie, and that's my hope. And it passes through this life into eternity, it passes the veil and goes into the very throne of God. You know, while you were talking, uh, the uh, that phrase that was uh, recorded in uh, by Paul, you know, Second Corinthians four, light affliction. Certainly today, a lot of people that you know want to become Christians that have become Christians, you know, there are all different kinds of I'll just say challenges. Sometimes it's having to choose to give up practices, habits, sin. Uh, recognize it as sin, even though it's very closely held, maybe part of their life, maybe part of their career, part of their job, etc. Certainly, choosing to follow Christ can induce all kinds of trauma within the family, with other members who, you know, don't want to go down that path and now start applying pressure to the person who, you know, has become a Christian. You know, certainly in some countries, depending upon the culture, depending on the government, uh, there is actual literal persecution, you know, threat of loss of property, threat of loss of freedom, threat of loss of life, even within some of the you know countries around the world. Uh, and I don't mean to diminish any of that. But, you know, you know, Alan, sometimes the things that Christians, uh, you know, undergo you know, particularly here in the United States, you know, in some ways it's kind of easy, you know, in the sense of, you know, what, what's the worst that might happen? Well, you know, we might have uh, names, uh, you know, uh, name calling, you know, we might be uh, laughed at, you know, we might be made fun of, but, you know, at least in the present era, at least here within the United States, you know, we are not being imprisoned. We're not having our property confiscated. You know, we're not having members of our family killed or threatened with being killed. And, you know, at some point in the future, those things may occur. 
but I'm kind of reminded that that even if our world is relatively easy, still we can succumb to problems. And as we've mentioned before, if people can endure some of the things we've been reading about in Hebrews chapter 11, if other Christians today can endure, you know, active physical violence, you know, we can too, even in our own, you know, limited circumstances. Any any thoughts on that before we uh, move forward? Well, I think you've you've really condensed everything that we've been talking about in in our uh, podcast. So we've talked about you know focus a lot on Hebrews, particularly chapter eleven, chapter twelve. You know you've you know kind of and Brian also have kind of taken us over to Paul and his attitude. Uh, I'm also reminded you know Peter as well. You know he has things to say about this you know subject uh, as well. You know, the power of, you know, motivation, reasons for expectations. I'm, I'm reminded of 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, verses 3 through 6. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy begat us again unto a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead into an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fades not away, reserved in heaven for you, who by the power of God, are guarded through faith unto a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, ye have been put to grief in manifold trials. It's almost like he's summarizing the podcast <laughs> so far as well. Yeah, that's right. And that's the, just the beginning of his letter, and he'll spend the rest of the letter. Remember, in chapter 3, he says that... You need to be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you the hope that is in you. So Peter has expressed the very essence of hope here, and he begins with praising God, because God makes it all possible, along with Jesus. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, God is the source. It is his immutability. It is his two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. He is the one who initiated this. He's the one who sent Jesus, and it was because of his great mercy. And again, that's where the expectation comes in. We can't measure up to God. Every day when we finish the day, we look back on it, and we see those pockets of time where we didn't do this when we should have. Here was a weight that kept us from doing something we shouldn't have done. Here was a a sin that beset us. And by the end of the day, we see ourselves again and realize how unworthy we are of the great love and mercy of God. And yet, it's His great mercy that caused us to be born again to a living hope. And that living hope is based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because as Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, He's the firstfruits. And the firstfruits in the Old Testament were always the, the proving or the, the promise of greater things to follow. And so God always asked for the first fruits, and then he allowed us to enjoy what came next. And so Christ is the first fruits, and we are those who will also receive. So our living hope is based on Jesus was raised from the dead, I know God can raise people from the dead, and I know God is going to raise me from the dead. And, of course, that resurrection leads to our inheritance an incorruptible inheritance, which means it it can't fade. It's not like our body. 
it, everything in this life is corruptible. You buy a new car and in 10 years, it's not new anymore. You buy a new home, you buy, you get a new baby. Uh, everything in this life ages and becomes faded. But God's inheritance is incorruptible. It will never, ever do any of that. And it never fades away. And it's in heaven. These all died in faith not having received the promises because those promises are in heaven and we have to leave this world before we can receive them. And then in verse 5, he, he talks about the power of God, power of God that brought about these promises, power of God that allowed Jesus to die on the cross and raise Jesus from the dead and allowed him to perform the miracles. Again, expectation. Our faith is based on vital, powerful proofs Proofs that can't be gainsaid, proofs that, that can't be denied, they can't be explained away. The prophecies, the, the power of the resurrection, the power of those miracles, those are my expectation. And I'm guarded through faith. It doesn't matter what Satan throws at me. The uh, fiery darts of the evil one are quenched by the power of faith. And so we're guarded through faith. Well, faith is the substance of things hoped for. Faith is the ability to desire and expect. And so I desire and expect that salvation, and therefore, this world is not my home. Like Moses, we reject the great glory and majesty of this world. And, you know, Jesus, Satan tried that with Jesus. He allowed him to see all the glory and power of men. And then he said, I can give all of this to you. And Jesus said, I'm not interested. And that's what we have to say. And then his last point is, you greatly rejoice. So this hope leads to joy. And I hope our listeners have felt that joy. I hope that through this podcast that many of us have have been strumming on the, the beautiful emotions that, that we've learned in the past. It all comes forward when we start talking about these things because, you know, these are just words on a page until we make them ours. And so if you don't feel any rejoicing, if you don't feel any, any excitement, any anticipation, any expectation, then just realize your hope is dim and faith will strengthen it. And we have to keep it strength. We have to keep it strengthened. You know, Paul said in Romans chapter uh, 10, verse 17, faith comes by hearing the word of God. So we need to spend our days in the word of God. Yeah, I appreciate, Alan, you tying hope and faith together. You know, it reminds me of Joshua when he reminded the people that God has always fulfilled his promises. And he says, look back, look at the promises God made. You see that he fulfilled them all. And so for us, when we read that and we study that and we believe in that, then we have full confidence that, that we have this reservation in heaven, if you will, this hope of eternal life that will be there if we are faithful. And it gives us, like you said, it should give us great joy. So as we start to bring this lesson to a close, Alan, do you have some final passages and thoughts that you'd like to share on hope? Yeah, there's two passages that I, I wanted to leave our listeners with uh, that, that I would hope that they would mark in their Bibles and that they would give careful consideration to because they, almost more than any other passages that we've looked at, these passages are crucial to our own ability to do what we need to do, just like Moses did, just like Abraham did, or Sarah, or Noah. We all have our own 
walk. We all have our own sacrifices to make. And this passage in Philippians 3 has always just really been a tremendous motivation to me, and I hope it will be for all of you. So, uh, Jeff, would you like to read Philippians 3, 20 and 21, please? Sure. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly await for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things himself. Yeah, this passage really clarifies the resurrection to me. We know from 1 John chapter 3 that now we're the children of God, hasn't yet been revealed what we shall be, but when we see him, we will be like him, for we will see him even as he is. And really, that's what this passage is dealing with. He will transform our lowly body. Now, right now, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we have a body that is uh, corruptible, it is weak, it is uh, mortal, but Jesus is going to transform this physical body. And that's what Paul talked about in Romans chapter 8, which is one of the first verses we looked at, where it says that the hope is the redemption of our body. The hope is the redemption of our body. Well, here in verse 21, he's going to transform this lowly, physical, weak, prone to sickness, prone to injury, prone to growing old and weak. He's going to transform that body, and he's going to conform it to his own glorious body. And this is one of the closest verses we will get to to understand this new spiritual body we're going to receive. It's going to be based on his glorious body. And Paul makes that point in 1 Corinthians 15. He says that we've borne the image of the man of dust. We have borne Adam's image. We look just like Adam. But in the resurrection, we will bear the image of the spiritual heavenly man, and that's Jesus Christ. So his body now will be similar to our body when this life is over. And I don't know how you could not get excited and as Paul said, or excuse me, as John said in 1 John chapter 3, verse 3, everyone who has his hope set on this purifies himself as he is pure. So bringing us full circle, bringing us back to hope forces us to do the things that are necessary. And that brings us to our final verse. And that's found in Titus chapter 2. Let's look at the verse that I think that all of you out there who think that the grace of God is going to minimize the need that you have to fight your lusts and fight your sins, it's fascinating. This verse says, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Now, we'd all agree with that. The gospel is the grace of God. But look what the grace of God is supposed to teach us, not what many people today are teaching us that the grace of God allows us to be sinful, allows us to have problems. But if you notice in verse 12, it says that the grace of God teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts and live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. So that's what the grace of God is designed to do. It's designed to make me deny ungodliness. It's designed to cause me to hate worldly lusts. It's designed to force me to live soberly, righteously, and godly 
in this present age. So far from the grace of God giving me a pass, far from the grace of God allowing me to keep living the way I was living, it's just exactly the opposite. The grace of God gives me that second chance. Yes, I fell short today. Tomorrow, I'm going to fight even harder. And the grace of God gives me that right. Because what should happen if I fall short today is that I die in that sin. Because the wages of a single sin is death. But the grace of God allows me to have a second chance, and a third chance, and a fourth chance. And those chances are designed to lead us to deny ungodliness, to deny worldly lusts, and to be sober and righteous and godly. And then verse 13, he ties it together, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what he said in the previous verse. He's going to transform my lowly body to his glorious body. And I'm looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing because when he appears in glory, I'm going to appear in glory with him. And that's the hope that Adam had, or excuse me, that's the hope that Abraham had. That's the hope that that all those who died in faith That's the hope they had. That's what the great cloud of witnesses designed to teach us. And now we have this focus here. So I'd just like to leave our listeners with the understanding that this hope is just as important to God as our faith. As a matter of fact, faith and hope are similar. And and the, the love, the agape love, the desire to be like God and to love like God loves, and all of this focused on the grace of God teaching us what it teaches us so that we can have that blessed hope. Yeah, thanks, Alan, so much for that. And I'm, I'm going to make a, a final comment, and then I'll turn it over to you, Jeff, for any final thoughts before we point people back to the website for some more material. And that is, you know, one thing I like about this passage kind of goes back to what we've been talking about in a good comment that Jeff made earlier as it relates to denying ungodliness and worldly lust. You know, sometimes people look to heaven, they look to the Lord, they have faith because of the tremendous persecutions and difficulties that they're going through, like we read in Hebrews chapter 11. But other times it says, once again, Jeff mentioned, we live in a society or the culture or maybe the country that we live in, and we have comfortable lives. And so it's all too easy to just sort of rest on our laurels, we might say, and give in to these worldly lust and this ungodliness because we're so comfortable. We saw that with the Israelites, right? They went into the land of Canaan. God warned them that that could happen. It did happen. And so I appreciate, Alan, the balance that you've brought here because it could either be because of persecution or this comforting lifestyle. But in both cases, we have to be willing to deny ourselves, look to and value heaven, our heavenly uh, life that we can have if we're faithful and have the hope to work towards that. So appreciate that very much, Jeff. Yeah, the only thing I might add is we've talked about and sometimes the uh, the moment in the moment, you know, problems that Christians face, you know, with respect to as we said their own sinful desires or family problems or in some cases neighbors, employers, government, etc. Uh, but there's also a sense that this hope can sustain us over the long haul. And when I say that, I'm, I'm reminded of passages like 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 13, where it says, But ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. Uh, likewise, Galatians uh, chapter 6, beginning verse 7, Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man sows that 
shall he also reap. For he that sows to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that sows to the Spirit shall the Spirit reap life everlasting. And then especially verse 9. But let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. And this hope can certainly sustain us through not only moments of problems and troubles and tribulation, but also sustain us through the, the long haul and just the, the day after day doing the things we need to do, regardless of how long it takes or what it involves, but being faithful uh, you know, unto the point of you know, end of our life or, or of death, but for the long haul you know, and not grow weary. Yeah, good thoughts, Jeff. Thank you for that. And Alan, thank you so much for sharing your insights in these key passages. They've been very, very helpful. Any final remarks, Alan, before we uh, point folks back to the website? Well, I'd just like to encourage everyone to give careful consideration to hope. Hope is the internal power source, like a battery. It just keeps us going. It's like that energizer bunny that we see in our culture that just keeps going and going and going. And faith, hope, and love, and hope will keep us and help us to be strong. And I, I just hope all of our listeners, I, I found hope to be such a vital part of the sacrifices that I want to make and need to make. And and I just love the hope that God has given to us. And I, I hope that all of us can share in that. Yeah, very good thoughts. And if you'd like some additional information, please go to our website, biblequestions.org, where you can find a host of other material regarding what we just discussed. So for instance, if you go select the letter H and go down to the section on hope, you'll see several articles and questions that we've answered about hope. Also heaven in that same section. You can choose G for information on grace, F for faith, Z for zeal, and A for apostasy. So I encourage you to dig a little bit deeper and then ultimately study out everything that you've heard today, everything that you read. Make sure that what's being said does match up with what the scriptures teach, and then please make application in your life. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Bible Questions podcast. We invite you to visit our website at biblequestions.org, where you can find over a thousand scripture-filled articles on a wide variety of Bible topics, along with about two dozen free Bible study lessons and other Bible study aids. Plus, you can submit a Bible question to us to get a personal response within a couple of days. Check it all out at biblequestions.org.